Are you ready for firearm-friendly social media? Big tech hates you, your firearms, and your lifestyle. They'll continually throttle and delete your firearm-related content and the ability to see content you want. Every day, your friends, favorite influencers, gun shops, or manufacturers get canceled and banned. They will not stop until you no longer have a voice. There is an alternative. Gunspace. Gunspace has taken the best components of top social media and fused them together for a unique social experience. A scrollable feed, clubs, podcast network, forum, and an NFT creator are features of this app. We want you to socialize and engage with other firearm enthusiasts, dealers, manufacturers, without random unwanted posts or unrelated advertising. Gunspace, the firearms-friendly social media. Download Gunspace, one word, in the App Store now. You can find us on Gunspace at C-I-P-O-D. That's C-I-P-O-D. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Clone and Correct Podcast. This is Transfer in the Editor's Side of Things. Giving you guys a quick update. This episode is going to be talking about uh, PCSL and the one-gun divisions very seriously. And if you are interested in that conversation... You should note that 17 South in Fleming, Georgia, will be hosting the PCSL One Gun Championship. This is sponsored by Ruger. This is on May 7th, 2023. If you are interested in this, you should go. Match fees are 150 bucks. There will be competition, practical, factory, PCC, and actual carry pistol. The names and rule sets of how those are going to change will obviously possibly be different as Max decides what he wants to do with that, but it will be a really cool match. If you have any interest in that, you should really consider it. Welcome back to another episode of the Clone Incorrect podcast, everybody. We have a couple of wonderful guests this evening. Uh, Hosting with me this evening is Wapdillo and M1 Ping. I am What's Your Transfer? And our guests are Max Leagrandis and Mike Pannone. I will let uh, Max and Mike introduce themselves if you don't know who they are, but you probably already do. So, Max, feel free to introduce yourself. Hey, what's up, guys, again? Um, We did a podcast back in, I forget when it was, but I think it was uh, like August, September. No, it was September. It was September, yeah. Last year. Yeah, so we we talked about, uh, you know, just PCSL and talked to you guys about... um, a bunch of uh like future things that were coming as far as divisions rule sets one gun i think it was right after i released the one gun rule set um and yeah so i've run a few big matches since then we did the pcsl two gun championship did uh hard as hell three gun under the pcsl rule so that was the first big three gun match under that format and then um just finished up a couple days ago with the aftershot match which was just a one day two gun um, but the stages were like the scale of a uh, major championship. So 2023 is going to be great. I have a lot of things coming for the league and setting up a lot of major matches around the country. And yeah, so just back here to discuss and, and came out and shot the one in, uh, in Dallas at mission 160. Yes, I did. I, I, I don't go by my first name, dude. <laughs> we'll, we'll edit that out. <laughs> Ethan, cut that out, please. I, I work at an IT company. Protect the meme page integrity. Yeah, I work at an IT company, dog. I don't need anybody knowing my first name. All right, learning more tonight than I have in like the six months he's been on. Exactly, but no, that match was good. Um, I did make it out to the uh, 
to the PCC focus one, and that was really good. So I really enjoyed that. Um, Mike, I'm sure everybody knows who you are, but for the sake of being formal, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, I was uh, was a Marine reconnaissance, and then went into Army Special Operations and um, did Army stuff, <laughs> and just loved to shoot. So I have, and I have my own company that does uh, more on the tactical side, but I hate saying that because that that the connotation when talk, talk about tactical shooters that you kind of kind of tosses out the whole you know speed and accuracy piece. So I I I've made it a point to blend performance shooting into. The, a lot of the stuff that I present to um, law enforcement, which is primary focus on my stuff. But yeah, I just a dude that loves to shoot guns and um, really appreciates that, the PCSL format. Can you drop the name of your company for our listeners who don't know? Oh, yeah, it's uh, CTT Solutions, Comprehensive Technical and Tactical Solutions. That's a lot of words. And it's on Instagram, CTT Solutions. So yeah, my partner's uh, a guy, Pat Doherty, is Long Beach Copper for like 22 years, was a Marine for six years before that. So, you know, it's, it's definitely experientially based but it's really hard really strong and solid in the in the performance shooting side which i think is is a real growing uh it's a growing part of the tactical shooting community they're realizing how beneficial sports shooting is and and performance-based shooting hit factor all that stuff yeah and that's something i want to say i've appreciated about everything that you've done over the years mike the people who've paid attention to you know about you is you understand how both worlds and can keep a foot in both worlds and understand what they are and how to make the two of them meet. And then where sometimes they, they don't meet because it is a different world. Um, and that thing, I think that perspective, I should say is one that doesn't get heard a lot and it's really good to see. So I'm curious to hear what you have to say about PCSL because um, in equal times, you've equal amount of time shooting a match and also like clearing a room. You've done both and you know what, what is similar and what is different. And those kind of things, I think a lot of people could learn from. Yeah, there's, there's a lot. There's, I mean, there's, I'm not going to freaking take up hog up the time but there's a lot to be said about the benefits of something um of sport shooting that is extremely dynamic and physical like pcsl it's not stand and deliver like classifiers in uspsa you gotta you gotta run around you're running trails you're there's a lot of movement which i think is critical because the bulk of the shooting time or the bulk of the time is not shooting it's movement and setup but if you can't move and set up properly and rapidly the shooting part, you know is, is so delayed it becomes much much less effective and i think that's the part that people don't understand that this the biggest benefit on the sport shooting side on aggressive sport shooting um is that it it forces you to run both the gun and your body hard you've got to get in and out of position if you're a little slower that's a second a second is like a year on a stage you know so, so it's like the the people overlook the physical part of it and i mean i understand some people may have issues you know we get people got bad knees and whatever bump stuff but but the bulk of us can run around. And if you don't do that, you're denying yourself a crucial part of performance-based shooting. And performance-based shooting is the same, whether it's clearing rooms or shooting a PCSL match. Okay. And a, a lot of the marksmanship challenges, truth be told, are a lot harder at a PCSL match than in a fucking seven meter room, you know? Okay. So that, I mean, that's like a really, I guess, kind of a good jumping off point because it's, 
given that crossover, I know a lot of guys that are either like starting to take shooting a lot more seriously now for the first time in a while, or uh, they're cops for the past like few years and they're younger cops trying to figure out how to improve their shooting because they can qualify okay, but a police qualifier is not really actually that impressive of shooting. Um, for guys like that that are trying to get into competition, be they a regular cop or be they, you know, just a regular dude, what kind of things should they actually kind of consider? And like, should they try to just say, go to the first USPSA match that's available, or should they try to seek out something like PCSL? Is there a big enough difference? Is that for me or is that for? I mean, that's for you, but if Max I'm has your any, okay, okay, I think, I think the, the um, I think that as long as they understand the, the rules and they can run the guns properly and safely, it doesn't make that much difference. I'm going to, I'm going to see it. I'm getting my, my girlfriend spooled up to start shooting USPSA. And then she's going to come out and shoot a PCSL match. She was out there with me watching. And really, as far as I, as I have seen it in competition over the years, if you, if you don't have awareness and you don't have intuitive control of your guns, then your problem and intuitive control of your gun leads to awareness. If I have to think about where my muzzle is, okay, then, then I've got a problem, you know, as, as far as overall awareness. And I think that's usually the biggest de detriment. But once you have that, once you, you know you're capable of keeping your muzzle in the proper directions as you move around, then, then just go there, man. You know, you're not going to be, you know, uh, uh, you're not going to be a rock star the first time you go to a match, but nobody cares. They just, they're, everybody's just cool to see out there and there's tons of people to help out. So get, Get in, um, maybe as you see it, a little bit over your head. But as long as you're safe, you're not. You're not over your head. You're just starting out, like like everybody starts out. You know? Okay, that's that's a pretty good answer to that because I had a, one of my buddies just started kind of taking this seriously again, and he was like, you know, like I feel like I need to practice a lot more to get at a match. And I'm like, you know, man, like if you got a bill drill anywhere between like two and four seconds, like you're probably fine. And even mm -hmm. then that's probably being a little like more generous on the performance side of things. Yeah. I mean, I, I look uh, at it as far as speed. I just, just real quick and then I'll, I'll get out the way. Um, mm -hmm. I, the speed part is, is, is immaterial at the, at the beginning. What's, what's important is, is your ability to control your muzzle, your safety and your understanding of your, of your weapon, your rifle, pistol, shooting. That's all the, the speed part will come, but people are worried about, you know, going super fast from the get-go like mm -hmm. you know like formula one drivers didn't start out at 15 years old driving to 200 miles an hour. so it's like that's not how it works so people get too caught up in that part of it just let the learning curve take place just be safe and everybody's gonna everybody there I've, i have never been to a match in my entire existence where people weren't trying to help out the new shooter never no once yeah i mean that's a really good answer the only reason i gave my buddy the response of you should run a couple build drills before you go is just a, a more of a personal confidence for him. Yeah. And, which I think, it, I think is a fair, a fair thing to tell him is like, if your build drills under four seconds and you can be yeah. safe with the gun and you can make decent hits in a four second build drill, then like just get out there and try it and have fun. Even if you're going to be last place. Yeah. Agreed. And I guess the, I would like to pivot that to Max, unless you have a follow-up question, Wop. No, I, I had a question for Max, actually, and it's, I just wanted to ask it real quick because it's on my mind. Uh, I wasn't around for the, the first podcast, but 
like on the building stages for PCSL, sounds like you have like physicality built into it. Um, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm a, I'm a meathead. I'm a bit of a, uh, I do a little bit more gym stuff than I do guns. How do you like, uh, like how do you gauge these these stages to make them difficult where these people are like using their mind and body as as Mike said, but it's not like making it unreasonably difficult because i'd make something stupid it would be like a bench 315 and then c zone steal it 100 yards yeah so that, that sounds like tactical games to me <laughs> <laughs> but like uh yeah the physicality i want to go back to that um like what mike talked about in the beginning so uh the pcsl format is designed to basically be adaptable to anything that a club or match director wants to do um i want to maintain control of like the vision of what the uh, uh, regional or like national championships are going to be and then kind of filter it down from there and totally, you know, not be in control of things like sectional matches, regional championships when we get um, uh, to that point or we have something like an area match. That is something that I want to want to do. And then obviously down to the local club levels, um, you know, whatever a club can do, like they might not have the natural terrain that we have. Um, and any kind of small stages that just, you know, test the skills of both your carbine and handgun at the same time. Like I want, uh, anyone to have ultimate flexibility on what they want to do for their customer base. So the, um, the championship level matches, I definitely want to find a couple extra clubs. Like my vision for, uh, for the future for maybe next year, maybe the year after is to have actually three large championships across the country that all have kind of a similar flavor. Um, but like one out here in St. George, uh, one, I think probably in Texas and then one on the East coast somewhere, North Carolina is a good contender. Um, and doing South Carolina. what's that? I said GTI in South Carolina would be cool. I have a shot there a couple times. Yeah. Um, I, I'm open to, uh, to any awesome range on the East coast. Like I, I don't know that many out there because I haven't spent that much time out there. But eventually, um, like this flavor of match that we do out here in St. George, where the stages are very physical, it's not like a like a physical challenge, like lifting weights, like you talked about. But it's basically um, like the stages will make you breathe hard because there's a lot of ground to cover or just, you know, the the dense sand in the creek bed. Like when you're running through that, it's like a slog versus, you know, just regular pack surface. So you have to you have to be extra careful of your footing like any little misstep will knock you off balance and then it'll be harder to hit that a zone um and then yeah with with like hills and everything like there's a lot of running uphill while shooting downhill uh and then up again to like engage long range targets so um we can basically make half of our stages at a national championship out here in St. George in these natural terrain areas so it offers a ton of flexibility as far as like uh like placing targets with natural cover, like bushes, vegetation, that kind of thing, rocks. Like, so it's really cool. But yeah, like I said, like down to the club level, um, that it doesn't have to be that to be a PCSL match. I got you. So it gives it gives uh, local areas like a more control over what they can, what they want to do with it, and stuff like that. And uh, I think that's cool. It gives a uh, especially people i can see it people going from local area matches to 
matches on other parts of the country where the terrain changes drastically and you just get a completely different shooting experience. It would be a uh, challenging and it would be really cool. Yeah. Like having the same regional championship or same, uh, major championship, uh, at the same range every year. Um, you'll start to kind of get the flavor for it. Like these, you know, legacy three gun matches have like everyone knows, uh, I forget which match it was maybe like Ozarks or something where there's like a big lake that you shoot long range rifle over is like super cool stuff like that. And, um, but then down to the club level, like this year is the year that I'm really trying to get information out and, and targets out to clubs to start their own matches and basically do anything they want with it. Like just take the rule set, try the format. You know, if you need to change a few rules to better suit your customer base, go ahead and do that and um, really just experiment with it. And then uh, so with like us setting an example out here at Topple Matches and then the grassroots level matches all around the country, you know, popping up, we'll, we'll eventually build from the top down and the bottom up. And then uh, we'll get to the middle point at, at some point, maybe like in a year or two, and then kind of flush out the, um, the regional championship, sectional championship level matches and figure out some kind of uh, real club affiliation that makes sense for people. Um, but there was another thing too, like uh, I think you asked whether or not, um, to start with USPSA or look for PCSL. Um, and I know there's a lot of drama within USPSA recently, but uh, really like that, that's pretty much at the, at the top level. Um, like you'll obviously wherever you go, you'll see people with different opinions, but in general, um, I believe that most USPSA clubs around the country are like just very friendly and very welcoming to new shooters. Obviously you'll get some uh, bad attitudes here and there, but just find anything like try practical shooting. Just, you know, don't come in with any performance expectations. If it's your first match, like understand that it is uh, a new set of skills that you have to add on to your shooting fundamentals in order to break down a stage and make a plan and execute. Um, but just go try it because ultimately it is just a tell or a test of your marksmanship. You know, it, there's no like tactical situational awareness built into these stages. Like spatial awareness does help a lot, but really it's just, how fast are you at executing your marksmanship fundamentals? Um, and it's just a, like, just think of it as a pure test for those skills and then take that test yourself and then apply that to however you want, whether you want to be a tactical shooter or top competitor. Well, I think that's one of the things that to me, it seems interesting about PCSL is there's a level of serious focus on good marksmanship fundamentals. And there's also an accessibility to it that I feel like isn't quite there with things like USPSA. And it's not, it's not the USPSA isn't a welcoming thing for local level matches. It's that anyone you grab them like by the collar and bring them to the match with an AR and a Glock and say, so here's what the rules are. So you have this, which means you are in this and then they can go shoot it. And it's not, it's not trying to like Im impose a rule set of like, well, are you actually in production? Are you in carry optics? Are you limited 10? Like, are you the new limited thing that uh, they're doing for staccatos now? Like <laughs> it, it's a whole thing that's like, okay, that's cool that there's like a, now a division for staccatos cause they're popular and people want to use 2011s at matches. But really at the end of the day, it, it's more just like everyone should just show up and shoot what they have. Run when you brung, you know? 
And I kind of appreciate that about PCSL. Yeah, I mean, divisions are super important um, to like separate out like equipment, obviously. And I, I think it would have been much harder if I'd started from a place where, you know, where USPSA is now, where they have all these legacy divisions that have been around for years and years, where at one point they actually did make a lot of sense. Um, and I, I think their failure has been um, like a, a lack of communication in the changes that they want to make, which which uh, leads to negative feedback when whenever any change is made, even if it might have been a positive change. The fact that they don't communicate it early enough um, and that their intentions aren't communicated early enough to the members um, leads to like a bad taste in people's um, in people's minds about what's happening. And uh, yeah, then the non-willingness to get rid of things that just are outdated and, and uh, you know, don't bring anything to the table. Yeah, I think that's kind of the, the big question that kind of comes up with stuff like that. And so and I, I think it's also a good thing because we have the opportunity to start something like you have the opportunity, I should say, to start something fresh within the gun culture that we all can get behind that meets people where they are at. And like, we can kind of have an opportunity to get people to coax them to go to a match. And it's like, this is the stuff that you were already trying to use or trying to have, you know, range time with. And, you know, they maybe break out a shot timer on a range day, but past that, there's really not a whole lot of like actually trying to like, rank yourself against other people and get the value that you get out of showing up to a match against complete strangers um, that can be gained back with this. I think that's like the huge opportunity with this. Like um, we get, we lose people, especially like we only had like USPSA, which we've, there's plenty of things that's been discussed about that. You have IDPA, which Honestly, unless you look good in a fishing vest, nobody's going to shoot that shit. Um, and then you've got Steel Challenge, and that's about all you've got, really, um, for anything with pistol stuff. And then you've got whatever local three gun, maybe tactical games, if you want to incorporate a rifle. There's not really a whole lot of two gun. There's not really a whole lot of other stuff. So it's kind of worth having something new to bring to the table. And... I had a question about divisions, actually. And I wonder if this is a thing that could be of merit or not. What about an armored division? Uh, it's something maybe maybe we can add, but I, I think that would be a category instead. Um, because like divisions, I think, are more related to your, uh, to your firearm platforms than what you're wearing. So I think if you, uh, if you wanted to run armored, um, like the, the subset of people that, that want to do that would be much smaller than just uh, just people who care about what type of guns and optics they're running, I guess. So um, I think I'd leave that as a category. Okay. Because, I mean, I kind of would think about, I've thought about, like, armored as an idea because there are matches that are specifically tailored to people that shoot in armor. And also divisions at some club-level matches that have armor. And I feel like if you just said, we've got armored and it's literally just your equivalent of open competition then you just said hey like we've got people running with plate carriers and like you have to have a minimum weight of a plate so you can't just have some 
featherweight thing that's not really even equivalent to an actual body armor plate. And otherwise, it's open rules. So you can go for it and use whatever you'd like. Um, you don't think practical armored would make more sense? I, I kind of actually, Mike, what do you think about uh, like the benefits or interest of people shooting in armor at matches? Like, is it is it a thing that's that's really I mean, obviously, you know, you get a lot of um, a lot of different fundamental control with with how you place the stock on your chest and and yeah. just maneuvering and everything. I think it's, I think it's, I mean, I know that there are people, there's two, there's two groups of people that I see that are interested in it. And that's people that actually were on the living. They actually want to train their kid on because they, they want to see um, how they perform with it. And then there's people that, I mean, people that just want to play dress up. I, I, I understand it, but I don't I want living. So I don't, I don't have to, but um, I, I could see there, I could see if there's a strong enough like LE presence or something like that, that are useful. But I mean, me personally, I, I do all my training without any armor on and always have. And I did when I was in JSOC, we all did. And then when you put armor on, you see what effect it has on you. So your control group, the control group for lack of better terms is you with no armor, slick, just shooting. And, um, and then you, you know, put armor on, you go, okay, this is how it affects me. So on the, on the, the training side, I see the point um, of going to a match and shooting with your armor on. So when you start, you know, running high performance courses of fire and you're running around, you see what, what it does to you in odd positions or on the move and, you know, shooting around barriers and all that. So I think it's, I think it's something to investigate, but I, I'm not sure how many people would, would be that into it or not. Yeah. I think it's something to look at. Like when, uh, when the format becomes ubiquitous around the country and there's like, you know, maybe a match pops up here and there where a match director is like, you know, I really want to do an armored match. And um, mm -hmm. I think armored practical division would make sense to add. I don't think I would I would do competition vision armored like the crossover just doesn't seem there. I yeah, would actually I disagree with that because I feel like the people that would use it as a training opportunity wouldn't really care that they're in the the competition open type division. They don't they wouldn't care. They just have an opportunity to show up in their armor. And the guys that want it to feel like the tactical game is but they've got a race rifle and they want the extra challenge of wearing the armor, they get a trade-off that works for them, and the patrol officer has a venue to wear the plate carrier on and actually be scored when he's wearing his armor. Mm -hmm. yeah, that, so that, I, that sounds like a category, then. Just uh, yeah, like, whatever you want. Yeah, like yeah. you can... Because if the guy got issued, like, you know, a Daniel Defense with a name point, and that's his duty rifle, well, okay, man, show up, have fun. They have, but, they have it uh, at, at Real Salado. They've got like, what do they call it? Like trooper division or something like that, which is certain guns and armor and stuff like that. So I, don't, I mean, I know it exists out there in some capacity. I haven't shot it, but I, a friend of mine when I was living in Arizona did. So it exists and it's, and, you know, the more people you bring to the sport, the more, you know, the, the more good it does for the whole community. But yeah, I don't, I'm not sure how many people would be doing it. I was going to say, I have a I have a friend that lives down there and shoots at Rio Salado and all that, and he shoots at that trooper division quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would like to talk to you guys a lot about um, handgun specific, some uh, specific divisional like rule nitpicks for this coming year in both the one-gun format and two-gun format. Okay. I'm interested. I'm interested. Me too. So we talked so, the last time we talked we had we talked about stock seventeen, right? 
Yeah, and that's that's what I'm not sure about now. So I ha I have kind of a new idea that's my like that I'm almost ready to run with, but I would like to get feedback from people on. Okay, I'm curious now. So what we talked about before was um like for two gun, it, I think it's perfect. Just keep it competition and practical. Like that, that's all you need. It's it's two mindsets. It's two like yeah. philosophies of use. It's just your race gear, the fastest stuff, and then the stuff that you would actually you know take to work and um i don't really think you need anything else and if you added a like a factory division that had like iron sights and a you know cheaper more limited rifle like limiting the optics or something like i just i don't think it adds enough to the two gun space um but in a one gun handgun slash pcc match which kind of mimics uspsa format like there has been a lot of interest in this some people just they want the simplicity of a one gun format. Um, I've gotten a lot of feedback for iron sights uh, that people still want an iron sight division, like like a limited, but with no major, like with nine mil. Mm -hmm. So before we talked about um, a factory division, and, and I think the round counts we were talking about was like, instead of doing the 140, 140 mil mags, we were just going to limit them to 21 plus one in practical and 17 plus one in factory because that's basically what any factory full-size handgun comes with. And then you, a plus four base pad is pretty much standard. Yeah, that sounds about right. What changes were you thinking about? So the, uh, the things that are kind of interesting to make rules for that I don't really want to are um, magwells and gas pedals. And it just... The difference that they make with nine minor and in a practical vision, like I just I don't really see the benefit of restricting the gas pedal and the magwell, especially when you reload, you know, you can have one reload per stage. Um, it's not like you're at allowing a magwell in production or single stack division where they're always reloading. And um so my first inclination was just say, you know, like we don't want to have equipment checks if they're really not necessary and they don't add a lot of value to the match. So just mm -hmm. run any gas pedal, run any magwell. And um, and then if I'm doing that, you know, and we're definitely allowing single stack, I mean, sorry, I'm um, single action handguns in the factory division, like um, the factory irons division. Like I'm thinking, why don't we just call it practical irons? And then have practical optics and practical irons and they're exactly the same and then in that case like just bump the round count up, up to 21 as well because who isn't going to buy a base pad for their gun and even if they're yeah. not you know you're still going to run one reload per stage with the 17 round mag most of the time well what is the argument that that practical you don't carry a, a mag well or a gas pedal on practical guns is is that what the counter argument is to that yeah something like that like it's um the other I mean, idea would be limiting the length that the gas pedal can uh, protrude from like the thickest point of the slide or frame. And because the, you know, Beretta um, XPs have like a takedown lever gas pedal that's kind of poking out there. And then you're going to get people gaming it and building these gas pedals that are specifically the right size. And it's just, I don't really want care. Like, I don't want to deal with that. I just want to let people run what they feel, you know, works best. I feel like I, the not allowing magwells on practical guns. I don't have a whole lot of experience with uh, gas pedals, but 
every gun I've carried for the past five years has had a magwell on it. From the first one was an ALG on a Glock 17 to the factory one on a staccato now. I mean, it. I Yeah, so the, definitely magwell is impractical. That, that's that's I, how yeah, it is that's, now. And that, that's a no problem for me. I would I would not disagree. Uh, and I would I would say practical irons and practical optics is like a perfect reasonable understanding. <laughs> the gas pedal, the thing is, I kind of understand the argument because while yes, we don't necessarily care, like just shut up and shoot, right? There is a difference between if you take like a CZ tax sport orange and you pull the uh, gas pedal off versus leaving it on, there is a shooting difference that can be discerned and will improve your fun- your ability to make that gun shoot well. And for that reason, I would be inclined to argue on the side of no gas pedals that are like, yeah, I would just say no gas pedals that are obvious protrusions from the side of the pistol um like something like an indent like um the agency arms glocks where you have like an actual thumb shelf that they cut into the side could be debated as being okay right or there's like just, a there's too much variance like there's the little yeah. slanty like sig uh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah and that's that's the, that's, the, that's the very fair counterpoint. Is there's so much out there that exists that it's like, is it worth your time really arguing about it? But um, at the same time, like, there's no nobody that bought CZ ta- uh, TSO and didn't buy it because they like, well, you know, I'm never going to use the gas pedal, right? Like. They knew the gas pedal was a competitive advantage and they bought it. But also, it's a competition gun, so you, maybe you shouldn't really even care. Like, there's, there's a, two sides to that coin, and I can understand both of them. So is it actually impractical? And Mike, I want to hear your opinion on this, too. Like, mm-hmm. is it impractical to have, you know, like a big thigh strap holster that you're carrying a gas pedal on your work gun? Some, somehow I feel like it's not really. It's not practical at all. It's not, it doesn't give you enough of advantage to make up for the, the, the requirements for equipment and, you know, the, the, um, possibility of it getting, getting caught on things. It's just not, it's not, there's not that much of an advantage. When you start talking about gas pedals, as I see it, you're talking about something that has an effect, um, that is, that is discernible for people that shoot, you know, 50 to 60,000 rounds a year. Okay, I, I and it, it's really and, and truthfully, I have I, I mean I shot for CZ for a while. I've had gas pedals on guns. It makes a little bit of a difference in major and minor. It doesn't make any difference. I pull them off. I don't like them. In major, you can use them because it's a control surface and you can exert energy on the gun that's beneficial. But in minor, on a steel gun like that, it doesn't matter. And truth be told, shooting a canic, if there were a gas pedal, I, I probably wouldn't use it. I don't see. But as far as operationally putting on, less is more. You don't want stuff. It's why we don't have four grips and you know, freaking whatever those little stops are for your hands and all that on guns. You just strip them down. You only, only something that is demonstrably worth the, the, uh, the additional, you know, bulk weight possibility of being caught up on anything. So no, I, I, we could have had, when I was at the unit, we could have had anything we wanted with guns. The guns were built from scratch for us and nobody had a gas pedal and they existed then. So that's all. I mean, that should say enough. I mean, could you, I think 
it leaves the area open. There, there are definitely people that, that want the pedals would mm-hmm. definitely bitch about like guys running 1911s and 2011s and other guns that have the larger manual safeties saying, well, it's pretty much the same thing. It's just the other hand. No, it's not though, because it's at the rear of the gun. The recoil yeah, impulse is yeah. acting along that center axis. It's not the same because I've shot them both and it's not the same. I, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you, but the people that are making this argument are very stupid. So <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, you know, yeah. At a certain point, like, one is a design a feature, but one is a design feature that's part of the gun that was originated in freaking 1902 and submitted in 1909, and the other is an aftermarket thing for sport. One is a safety device, and one is a performance enhancement device. That's the difference, I think. Yeah. Oh, you know, no, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm agreeing with you entirely, but, I, but there will be people that will make a dumb argument uh, against yeah. you because, you know, they they feel a certain way about a product, and then they want to argue with you on the internet. And it's like, well, yeah, oh, of okay, okay, champ, like that—that's <laughs> nice and all, but you you couldn't shoot worth shit, and you ran at your stage like an old man in a buffet line. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, yeah. Speak, speaking of gas pedals and stuff, I've been seeing some weird stuff lately too. Like, uh, especially like in the staccato groups over on Facebook and stuff, where dudes are making like these weird like contraptions that are folding gas pedals that are supposed to fit into safari land holsters and they're like spring loaded. So when you draw the gas pedal deploys and you can use it, but then it's also part of your slide stop. So now I'm seeing like you replace your slide stop with this thing. So now I'm seeing like, Oh, well now my gun doesn't lock open when I'm in an actual gunfight and I get a click to know that I have to reload. That's that. Yeah. But, but Staccato people just like to air rack their guns because they think it's cool. So, like, I don't really yeah. know if I care that much. Yeah, yeah, enjoy your cracked frame. Yeah, they they do. So, they're like they're affectionados. <laughs> obviously, from the practical standpoint, like there's there's an obvious answer, but um, from the like pure competitive shooter, like match director, you know, kind of like league standpoint, I think there's just as much of a valid argument. Uh, for letting anything go, gas pedal wise, like the, it's less the, I'm yeah, gonna like, go ahead and say I've been convinced of your argument, but I would probably still, before writing that into the rules, like sleep on it and think about it the next day and actually see if I'm in the same spot on that. Because I can see both sides of it, but I kind of get your point of like, is it really worth my time of actually having somebody argue about this, right? it's like a perceived advantage thing which which i've already made a decision on a a similar thing which is bipods and bags and the answer was no in competition division and the reason for that is because i have a target range limit and a minimum target size limit and um that's 200 yards and eight moa so like 16 inches at 200 so very easy targets right like the the challenge is hitting them quickly in the middle of a stage with a lot of other stuff um, so not allowing bipods and bags in competition division, which is like one of the few limits in competition aside from the uh, pistol mag length, but that makes it so that there's not a perceived advantage from someone who like, you know, flies into a match and didn't bring his kneeling bipod and his prone bipod and everything. And, uh, feels like he has a disadvantage compared to the shooter who's just kneeling with their crazy tall bipod for the hell of it on these targets that you should be able to shoot offhand with no issue, you know? So like by eliminating that, it's kind of like I made the decision already where 
I don't really want anything that doesn't necessarily help shooters. That would be a perceived advantage for other people just to avoid mm-hmm. that kind of, um, yeah, that, that kind of feeling that competitors might get. And there I mean, is that's... another argument. Like uh, I know someone who has some like hand issues who actually has a lot of trouble uh, gripping a gun well with their support hand because um, like some of the tendons and nerves are damaged a little bit and the gas pedal just allows them to put more force in where they couldn't necessarily like grip that hard and torque the wrist forward. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty fair argument. Um, and in general, I think like the, the best argument for just a practicality of the match thing, not for like a specific shooter thing is the answer of whenever like you have someone trying to run a match, if they just decide like some guy in Alabama is like, all right, PCSL sounds cool. Let's just start up a match. Um, it works a lot better for him to not have to give a rat's ass about, uh, any sort of like thumb ledge or whatever kind of thing, because honestly, why do I care? And if you need, if you need some sort of like, you know, ramp or whatever thing on the side of your gun to control a one twenty four nine millimeter of that much better, Okay, bud, maybe you should go to the gym a little more. (laughs) That's kind of down the same line. Like the competitive side of me is like, you know what? If you want to run a fucking ramp, go ahead. I'm still going to beat your ass. So that's, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's. Yeah, but what if you lose to that guy by like a fraction of a percent? You're going to be a little ticked. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I I can see that. but, but I, I would put that time. more on me because I I know exactly how dumb I am in the world and I know exactly how bad I can shoot and I'm going to put that more on me than I am going to put it on the other guy. Like, no. well, you're in the minority there because like a lot of guys would just go, you know, if it wasn't for that fucking gas pedal, like I'd have got him. Yeah. Like, I think, no, I know how bad I am, dude. You, you can I find my prison practice score for the last match. That was that was not my best showing. Would be honest. I think it's pretty obvious that, I mean, I say this, but someone's going to make some shit that proves me wrong. But I think there's like a pretty big difference in between an agency mat, like frame cut uh, gas pedal and the, the SIG, uh, the 320 gas pedals and some of these big fuckers that are on like TS2s and shit. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I, I think... I, I think that we're at a, we're at a point where the options are super limited here. So basically, like the the original idea was um, practical would basically be limited optics and then factory you go down from there. So you start reducing things like slide optics and um, ground count down to 17 and then a gas pedal restriction that was going to be in factory division. Um, and then also possibly even magwell size restriction. But that that makes such a little difference on the stage. Like, I don't think anyone's going to complain, you know, about like one reload per stage having, you know, a few extra millimeters on either side of their magwell. So, um, so are you considering still doing a practical irons and a stock 17? No, I th- practical irons would re- would replace that. Um, okay, good. Because I was going to yeah, say that, there, there that seems like too many. Divi- that means too many divisions and then you're going to get so such a limited group of people that are trying to go that route. And I, I feel like that would just be like unnecessary. 
Um, yeah, the uh, the thing is like the the gas pedal and the optic on the gun almost have nothing to do with each other. Like um, for for rifle in practical division, like I think the muzzle brake and the full mass bolt carrier are very similar, right? Like those are the two things that people tune initially to reduce felt recoils, like put a brake mm-hmm. on that redirects gas and lighten your reciprocating mass. Those are very similar. So like limiting both of those versus competition vision makes a lot of sense. But if you limit gas pedal and optic from a uh, practical down to factory vision, like those are two completely unrelated things. And yeah. that almost lends you to have like, you know, a factory optic, factory irons, practical optic, practical irons, which obviously we're not going to make that many divisions. So in that case, I think um, I think the right move is to just have practical optics, practical irons, and they're exactly the same other than that slide ride dot. Um, so then you have to make a decision on on the gas pedal. And I think uh, for the like purpose of the division and the name and everything, the right move is just restrict the protrusion and and call it a day and a full size like TiVo sports size gas pedal puts you in competition division because it is really a race part. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Max. I agree with what Max just said. That I think it's the way to standardize it as much as you can and put parameters on the gas pedal and make it easy to follow. And fair for me. Yeah, I think that's a fair that's a pretty fair, well rounded answer on that. Um and then you were gonna we were talking about like an actual concealed carry type division. Is that something you still want yeah, to go gave with? Me the name for right? ACP. I thought that was such a good name. <laughs> actual it, carry it pistol. Is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it's just the, it's a it's a good pun. This would be um like most likely a box division and uh intended for like Glock 19 size with a dot. And the reason for allowing a dot is because uh like obviously, you know there like there's there's arguments on, on either side, like you know, carrying irons is faster or whatever, but the, like the fact is people are going to put dots on their concealed carry guns so if you're mm-hmm. going to allow a division like this you, like you have to allow dots in it for it to be adopted and then um i don't i don't know i don't i don't really see adding an acp irons division in the future so like it would basically nah, be a box no. division for compact guns with a just, dot like just just two cents backing you up on that max in in uh the uh, performance carry classes that i teach there's probably one in 15 students with iron sights and they're usually cops, and that's what they have to carry because they're not authorized to carry a dot. Otherwise, it's all it's all carry guns. It's Glock 19s or you know uh, M&Ps or something like that with a dot on it. That that's that is that's where it, I mean I, I I'm always kind of surprised when I see irons in, in, in a concealment car. So I agree with that. Man. Well, and yeah, I think I, the other thing that's interesting is that you can get a division that you like. If you have like a P365XL with like a hollow sun on it, which is a really common carry gun these days, that guy actually has a division to go try, you know, like that's that in itself is actually kind of cool. Yeah. Or even the macro, like the, mm-hmm. the was it the X macro? Yeah, like that's a hell of a gun for it. Just yeah. That'd be, that'd be great for that. Risky. This division would be um, like, so I think IDPA, is interesting because they have like such a good idea as far as you know like real guns real situations real uh real equipment but the execution is just so unmatched from how good the idea is it's like the best idea worst execution i've ever seen like nothing works it's just all rules there's no real uh like fundamentals tested 
No. So like the fishing vest is what you end up with if you try to make a concealment rule. Like there's kind of no way around it. Like you, you're mm-hmm. going to have people with tactical cardigans. If you say that it has, it has to be like connected in the front with like magnetic, magnetic buttons or something. It's like, I don't want to no. dick around with any uh, apparel rules. So the idea for this is just make it IWB, but not mm-hmm. from concealment. So like yeah. your mags and gun have to be IWB. Um, but you're not concealing so that we remove any gaming of concealment. Mm-hmm. I see that. That makes I sense. Think, I think ability for like getting shit caught on your gun, whatever. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And I, uh, I, when we had Ben on, um, I, it's still one of the things that is like the, a match mind blower is I went up to an actual concealment focused match and I showed up with an appendix carry holster and they told me I couldn't use it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, fine. I guess I'm going to have to borrow a holster from some random guy and put a flannel shirt on and try this. And it was just kind of like really annoying. Whereas if it was just like, okay, it's appendix carry, like that's allowed, but you're not concealing the gun so that we're not worrying about a cover garment actually impacting the gun. That actually kind of does help cover liability. Yeah. Yeah. It covers liability and it takes away any opportunity for gaming bullshit. Oh like, yeah. It just don't even give them the option because people are really, really <laughs> fucking competitive and they'll take it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like if, you give them the, if you give them a chance to do it, it'll happen. Yeah, they'll spend more I, I time trying to get around the rule than they will practicing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like that's exactly what happens. Is they're like, I, I can grab a couple tents here. That's fine. I'll try that. Whereas, like, you could shave a few tents off if you actually did a little dry fire. But you know, whatever. <laughs> Whoa. But Whoa, tax easy. <laughs> you mean put actual effort in to get better when when you can just game it? How retro. <laughs> Weird, like things need hard work or something. I uh, mind blowing. Yeah, it's definitely a, it's quite a revolutionary concept. But it, for the people that do it, it seems to work, huh? I know, crazy, right? So this but is super like, good. I, I feel like we're we're almost like, uh, you know, like I have a really good justification for every decision on on all the divisional rules. So I guess the last couple things are: does it make sense to limit practical? to 21 plus one um, and competition to mag length, like 171.25 like standard. Yes. I, should I think they so. both be round count. Should they both be mag length? Like, I, I think this is my two cents. I think for the, for, uh, was it open? Is it open or competition? You call it competition, right? Yeah. That should just be, I think that should be whatever you can jam in 140 millimeters of magazine. Get after it. And I think if you do the practical side, everybody has the same round count. Um, and I'm not saying that sour grapes. I, I just shot a match out in California and I got 20 round mags shooting uh, carry optics against dudes that have, you know, I've got, I've got 20 plus one. They've got 23 plus one. And that means that, that I had a reload they didn't have. It. it didn't have an effect on the stage per se, but it could. You know, so it's like, it, um, I think that having that, it, it, it evens the playing field even, even more. And I think gets back to, you know, your, your uh, intention, Max, which is to test marksmanship skill against each other, not equipment, so to speak. 
Right. So did, did I hear you? Uh, I think you cut out a little bit, but did you say 140 is what you think for competition? No, no. I think I, for, for if, if I believe it's in competition, you have 140. And put as many rounds as you can. Who cares? Nobody, there, there's no limit. If you can get it's whatever in there. like the crazy long uh, open. Yeah, no, no 170. It's none of that. No one's okay. Or are you, is it what you said in competition? Do you allow that? I, I yeah, right it. now it's it's like mimicking USPSA open major division. Okay, okay. Because I, I feel like then, everyone, um, everyone's got one of those. Yeah, it's right, for, if you're if you're if you're mimicking if you're mimicking open division, I see 170 because it's it's kind of a standard. We've all everybody like we've all shot 170s in open and 140s in everything else. Basically, I think just having 21 rounds to even it out in the in the practical, so everybody is truly being tested um, on their on their skills. Everybody's going to have to come up with a stage strategy, and they're they're all if there's a reload, everybody's going to have to reload. There's not one person that's going to be able to. Um, avoid that and get some sort of relative advantage. That's just how I see it. Yeah. So the, the discrepancy, like this is just probably my OCD, but the discrepancy between limiting one to length and one to round count, like doesn't really bother you guys that much. Cause it, it makes no. the most sense to me too. No, it wouldn't bother me because like, if I'm going to try to, I'm not going to change the gun I'm going to use because of a round count or a length thing if it's mm -hmm. what I'm going to shoot the best, right? Like yeah. if my gun, if I'm going to shoot, let's say practical irons for one gun, right? Or if I'm going to show up to shoot practical on the two gun and the pistol I pick is like a Beretta M9, that's the gun I would shoot the best or like a P226. If I pick one of those guns, I'm not suddenly going to be like, well, you know, dang, capacity restriction on this, I can get an extra round out of going to the SIG over the M9. If I shoot the M9 better, I'm going to use the M9. If I shoot the SIG better, I'm going to use the SIG. That's just kind okay. of how that's going to go, right? Like, because I would rather shoot a like deal with the reload on a gun I can shoot better than yeah. a gun I can't shoot as well. And I made a, I had a miss, but I got an extra round that I missed. Like, there's just a tr there's a trade off on those kind of things, yeah. and for me, it would make more sense to focus on the gun I'm using and shooting it well. If you're actually trying to compete well, because, you know, you can try to <laughs> snag at things and buy aftermarket mags or whatever to get you an extra round, that's fine. It's more, in my opinion at least, about, like, picking what works the best for you to actually get a good score. And that differentiation doesn't make any sense. If you get pushback on it, then I would find a good average round count of what that magazine length of 170 would be and run with that. But personally, to me, it doesn't bother me on the different measurements of the two. I, I think just to jump in real quick, I think that I think it's a great point. And I think for ease of, of, of match management, just having 170s and 140s would probably be easiest. And hey, you pick the gun that you shoot best and, and the capacity is what it is. I think you made a great point. Wait, what, was that your point? Was it? Uh, was was it, it just an open? That was not entirely my point. 20, I don't care about the. I don't care about the different measure of the two. Right, uh, I can see right, the right, yeah. the standardization makes perfect sense to me, and I don't have a huge dog in the fight on either argument. But magazine capacity isn't exactly why I'm picking gun to compete with. Yeah, that's all. But within that, the like, same class, within the same yeah. class. That's all I'm saying. And what I took from that is that magazine capacity isn't the big discriminating factor 
give or take around here and there, the gun is far more important. And so my, I, what I did was kind of jump on the back of that and just say that being a really well-made point, it would be easier to administer a match without having to worry about you have only 21 rounds or you have 22 rounds or whatever. Just easier to say you got 140s for this division or 170s for that division and that put as many as you can. In. That's kind of agree with yeah, the logistical on that yeah. uh, for ease of use but i i don't find i don't find enough to complain about versus a round count versus a uh magazine length because if i'm going practical like okay if we're limiting it to 21 right okay well if i don't have any glock mags to go to 21 i have a 21 round type extension on it but i've got a pile of glock 19x mags because i'm a dork and i buy tan mags then okay cool i'll just use my 19x mags because they fit the requirement and i'm not going to go buy new mags to go show up but i think the that biggest point on like length versus number is is uh i've gotten pushback from ro's on as far as like oh that means we have to count to 21 to make sure they're not loading more mm-hmm. um and it's like no you you don't like what first of all you're never measuring people's mags at local matches so like if you notice someone accidentally load 22 and shoot a specific section of a stage, like, okay, you know that they either are cheating at a local match, which they're a loser or they're accidentally doing it. And, um, like when you get to a major event, you know, like a local maps match like that, it's it's a whoops. And you're like, Oh dang, I I probably shouldn't have done that. You know, if you're not a loser. And if, if you, uh, if you are actually doing that and like plan on, doing that at a major match like sneak one in it's just it the like i understand in production right shooting to 11 uh without going to slide lock in certain stages in production can be a huge advantage and um it is harder on the ro's to like to to watch and keep track of that because there are so many situations where you might shoot to 10 with a couple makeup shots or something but when you're talking about 21 to 22 like loading 22 or 3 uh, is not a fucking advantage at the match. Like you're you're gonna do your reload anyway, unless it's a 21 round stage and you add that one for a makeup shot. Like your RO team on that stage at a championship level should be aware of the practical division shooters where they need to reload and like un- be aware of the total round count of the stage. And it's not counting to 21. It's like when they leave this position, if they have engaged all the targets. Like that's where they should be. And you can even save rounds by shooting K zone. So it's like, I don't really see that as a good argument for um, check, having to check everyone's physical mag for length where you get shit at, at USPSA nationals where people like, or Ipsic, you know, where they take a uh, sandpaper to their base pad to shave off, you know, the fraction of a hair of an inch that makes them clear the gauge. It's like, it's so stupid. Oh, I, I, I agree with you entirely. And I don't disagree with your thought process on it, but I think, um, like the the point that Mike was making is pretty good that like, it's easier to delineate between one or the other of like a, a one measurement versus another at like a larger match. So it might make a little more practical sense, but functionally, like, I guess from, for my sake, I know, I would rather focus on my capabilities and try to get get gooder uh, before I start trying to game my magazine length to fit a box or something like that, you know? 
Yeah, plus like we that, have video evidence rules. So if, like, yeah, if if someone shot you thought to twenty or thought you shot to twenty two, then we can just go check it. I mean, honestly, that's that's one of the better rules I think you've come up with on that, and I really appreciated that that it worked. It seemed like it actually is a rule that works really well. And I, I could you expand on that for people that maybe didn't catch the first episode with uh, with you where we were talking about that. Oh, the video evidence thing. Yeah. So it, mm-hmm. it's just like common sense at this point. Literally everyone has a cell phone that they hand off to someone to take video. Um, it, it is a disadvantage now if you don't, if you don't hand off your phone to take video because of this rule. So um, if there's any scoring call, like RO calls a football or, uh, you know, there was a long range steal and you thought you got the hit, but we can clearly see in the video that maybe it hit like the T post and hit a rock behind it. So it made a sound that you thought was a hit, that kind of thing. Um, we can just go check the video. And uh, what the rule is, is you can't be incriminated for uh, a call that's not in question. Like, say the call is a foot fault that you don't think you earned, like you got shot off before your foot hit the ground as you were falling out of position. So that's the the call in question. So um, either the ROs or the or the RM, whoever it is, can check the video and you can always call the RM to get a second opinion. But uh, if we're checking that for the foot fault and then say earlier in the stage, you know, it looks like you might have broke the 180 at one point, but the RO didn't say anything and didn't see it. You're not going to be incriminated and then like DQ'd for a call that is not in question at all. So we'll only look at that footfall. And if it looks like, you know, you got the shot off before, like we freeze frame and like you see the see the gun cycle, then then you're good. Nothing to worry about. And if not, then at least, you know, the truth, you know. So Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good um I think that was one of the better rules that we that you came out with PCSL. And when I sat down there, I was like, this is a rule that a lot of people can appreciate and see the value in it. And you can actually kind of either defend yourself or, uh, you know, have a good just call on a penalty uh, based upon that. And it's it's a good way to keep people honest because everything is on video anymore. So... I really appreciated that. Yeah, one um, more thing to keep in mind is that, you know, like the worst thing that can happen is it's still unclear and then you can give them a reshoot anyway. So it's like there's there's no reason not to do it as long as it doesn't disrupt match flow. Like pull the shooter aside, say this is the call. These are the options. We'll review the video. Like we'll call the, call the RM and do it. We're going to keep shooting the rest of the squad. And then after we get a decision, then we'll we'll know what the score is or whether to reshoot you or not. Yeah, I mean, like, it's a pretty good, straightforward, um, like, rule set. And I think that's going to actually be really appreciated by a lot lot of ROs and a lot of RMs is that you can actually kind of double-check things a little bit. Um, I know, Mike, we're getting up a little bit on the end of your time here because you're kind of coming up here. You got stuff coming up. Um, So I did actually have a question for you because you have a lot of experience with um, instruction and such. Um, there's a trend that I feel like I've noticed when it comes to instructors in the tactical space or whatever sort of space in the firearms world where people don't define their lanes well, they don't figure out how to stay in their lane well, and it feels 
like either I'm getting sold something by people that don't know what they're talking about, but want me to think they know that or um, that like you can every now and then find somebody who's legitimately in their lane and they know what they're about. Do you see this as a problem that's kind of been plaguing the space or is this kind of like an over exaggerated thing? And like, what are your thoughts about like just staying in your lane, so to speak? Is that for me? Yeah, for you, like specifically yeah, instructors. There's a, there's a in lot of, yeah, there's a lot of people that uh, there's a lot of people that do that. They're <clears throat> either they fancy themselves something that they're not, or they had jumped in there and made money, and now they're doing it. But there's there's um there's people teaching shooting that don't shoot well. There's people teaching tactics that that don't really understand tactics. Um, it's it's social media is entertainment. I mean, it really is. It's intended to look at cool cars and chicks in bikinis and whatever. Like, it was never really intended as an educational medium. We've kind of created that, you know, organically. But there's a lot of people that have used that as a marketing tool to make money, and they've they've jumped in where they where they they thought they you know where they made snappy videos and they could make money out of it. But there, there's yeah, there's there's a ton of people out there that are completely out of their lane teaching things they have no business teaching, and it's really very buyer bewareish, man. There's there's I mean, I'm fighting with that right now. Stuff. It's. It's. Uh, I think that's the the nature of the beast with social media when you have free marketing like that. Well, there's there's a, a recent example that I saw about, and I'll give a shout out to um, Armed Asian about this because he posted a lot about it. Um, mm-hmm. But there was a guy that went over to Ukraine as a firearms instructor. Then he started mm-hmm. teaching tactics, and then the people he was teaching tactics to were not getting th- good tactics, and some like yeah. people got killed. And it was like. Yep. Hmm. Interesting. And regardless of anyone's opinions about the whole situation in Ukraine, it's kind of a good piece of evidence of like, hey, man, like yeah. maybe you shouldn't have been talking to people about this. Right. Like you, you don't, don't understand. To... Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, really. Uh, just real quick. And then I got to bounce because I have to do another IG live. Um, but oh. What you what you have is going to be saucy too. trust me. Um what you have is people that go to a, they go to a course out on the, you know, quote tactical side, which I think is such a freaking joke. Um, they go to a course and since they went to the course now they're, you know, they go to an instructor course. So in two days, you know, or three days, or let's say five days, you get to be a CQB instructor. Okay. That block when I went to, when I went to, um, that course in JSOC, that that's a six month course, not, not five days. You know what I mean? And it's like foundationally, it starts with just shooting. Like you've got to be able to shoot well before you can go and house it. There's so much to it, but people go to a, a short course and then they fancy themselves knowledgeable. They have no, they have no experience to evaluate what they're teaching or where they're going wrong, or they don't even know where they're going. They don't even know exactly what they're doing. And that's what that guy did. He saw something cool. It's obvious. I have no doubt. I have absolutely no doubt. He saw or did something that he thought was really cool. And then without knowing exactly what the mechanism of success was, he tried to replicate that and it cost people their lives. And that's what happens when you're not honest with yourself about who you are and what your capabilities are. You sit there and go, I went to a course with Johnny cool guy from the cool kid club for two days. And now I'm, I'm an instructor. I'm like that, that's not how it works. Um, and that's, that is rampant in the training industry and it's manifest on Instagram every single freaking day. Matt, Matt Pranker from X-Ray Alpha says it all the time, man. Instagram is ruining shooting one video at a time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, to mention Matt, um, there was a video he and Ben Steger did not too long ago where they were teaching some law enforcement officers. I think it was in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And they were 
under technicality of a match rule breaking the 180. But in reality, for the people that were at that training event, the 180 really wasn't mattering a whole lot for the actual shooting exercise that was going on. And people were calling them out. It's like, that's unsafe. It's like, I mean, are we sure about that? That, that was him doing Hans and Kim's ghost stop drill. I actually reposted it. And there's, if you look at the four firearm safety rules, it doesn't say anything about the 180. That is protocol that sports shooting has put into place to ensure that people who are spectators are not, you know, inadvertently flagged by people with guns. That, that's, that's, not, that's not safety, that's protocol. Because your four firearm safety rules are four firearm safety rules. Every bit of protocol, every range requirement is intended to keep you within those four firearm safety rules. And they didn't even understand that. And they didn't understand that there, there's somebody there. I mean, Matt's a good friend of mine. He's got great skills and muzzle awareness. He's not, if he pointed a gun at somebody, he meant to. Okay, so it's like, they just don't know. And anything that is, that is contrary to what they're accustomed to scares them. They're afraid of it. And, and, and it immediately is unsafe. I mean, I just went through that. I, I left the club in, in Utah because I was doing 180 degree turn draw and shooting bills and stuff like that for time to see what, how, much a, how much a 180 or a 90 degree turn cost me. They came in and said, oh, you're unsafe. Well, there's two jackholes next to me who rented a machine gun squirting bullets all over the indoor range. Those guys are okay. So it's, if they're familiar with something, it, it's kind of okay. But if they're unfamiliar with it, it automatically becomes unsafe. So it's like that 180 comment that they made was made by somebody that doesn't literally know anything about safety, but felt compelled to freaking pipe off about it. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's actually something re- really refreshing to hear you kind of say, because it's a lot of times I see people that are just like kind of mouthing off about things that is like, oh, okay, God. champ, that's, that's nice and all, yeah. but like, yeah. are we really being fair about our criticism or are we just kind of like shooting from the hip here in a way that isn't even like really based in reality or fair? And the instructor's thing, I, the first thing I kind of think uh, that I thought of was like, you know, I I carry a tourniquet pretty much all the time. Uh, it's been a th- I worked at, used to work at an indoor range, and for me, it was a, a big thing that even though I wouldn't be a range officer often, I would have a tourniquet on hand because it could be an actual thing I needed that day. And so I made a point to carry a tourniquet, and I still carry one. I'm not the guy to teach or stop the bleed class, but if I need <laughs> to put a tourniquet on somebody, I can. Can I tell someone how to put a tourniquet on and kind of limp my way through to stop the bleed? Maybe, right? But the more realistic answer is if I actually have to stop the bleeding, I can yell at somebody to help me, but that's about yeah. all I can do. Past that yeah. point, like it's not, I'm not the one to stand in front of a room of people and tell them how to perform combat medicine. And I'm not going to try to, but if you, your mindset is, well, you know, let me just, try to explain this thing. And like, you told me what to teach people and now I teach it. Well, what happens when you get like a really hard question or what happens when your lack of understanding that was imparted on someone else is now suddenly like an actual thing they run into in the real world. And it's a problem for them. And I, I find that just to be such a, a massive gripe that I have with a lot of things going on right now. So I do appreciate your answer on that. Yeah, man. Hey, guys, I got to bounce because I got to go crank up another IG Live. But thanks for having me on and thanks for uh, hearing me out. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me Thank you for being your time, Mike. We do appreciate coming, it. Mike. You're, you're welcome yeah, back right. anytime you'd like to come on. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Take care. Have a good night. You too. Take it easy.
I had a uh, question of, back to the, the just, mag thing we talked before about. Before we move on, real quick, I, ju- I just want to point out that uh, Mike has been using a gun professionally for far longer than I've been alive. Yep. Yeah, my he's been there and done that for a long time. So um, um, he, he, it was a, it's been a privilege to have him on. Honestly, so he didn't. Uh, go ahead, you, Bob. Can you boot someone from the call? He's still here, or at least he's shown for me. I I can't boot anybody. Max, you might want to send up a text and remind him to uh, hop out of the voice channel. All right, I just sent it. Cool. But uh, uh, I wanted to add in really quick on on the mag length versus limit. I mean, for me personally, it's it's cutting hairs, especially in practical. I think. Uh, I think 21 works definitely. And I think length works. It just depends on, on what you want to do. There's, there's bullshit for either one, man. Either you're going to have people fucking with their mags to fit in a box or you're going to have, uh, or you're going to have people screwing with the count going into yeah, the mag. Yeah, they're going to, they're going to fuck their followers mean, and shit like that. It's, it's either way. I think you run into the same issue either way. When you put a limit on something, people are going to try and find a way to get as damn close to or over that limit without getting caught. I think the, the difference where I can defend the idea of having both of them being different, uh, is the people that are going to shoot practical are just going to say, we're going with a magazine capacity restriction and that's what it is. And we're going to move on. Whereas the people who are going to go to competition already kind of know the shtick about mag length. Yeah, and I right? get that. And so, like, there's, there's enough of a mindset, I think is the best answer, a good mindset difference where you get people going from one angle or the other angle, and they will both converge at a point that's logical uh, for their division. Um and that makes sense because if you're going to grab a random guy that just has a, uh, he just has a Glock 17 and he wants to show up and shoot. And you say, this is your magazine capacity restriction for the match. Then he'll say, that's okay. Whereas if you say 140 millimeter, okay, I don't know what the hell that is. Right. Like, what am I allowed to do? I'm going to have to break out a ruler. Right. Whereas like, you can't have more than 21 in this gun. Okay, that's fine. And then they'll figure out what they want to use in conjunction with that. That seems fair. That seems like it's where they're at. Me for me being a like new to competition shooting, still pretty much in general, because all I've really shot is still challenge. Uh for for someone like me, that's really like easy to understand and go, okay, I'm only allowed to have, you know, twenty one rounds in this gun. So, you know, if I have my staccato, I can't grab, like, my 30-round stick and go at it. Or, you know, if I got my P320, I can't grab, you know, one of my larger magazines and go at it. I can only grab my 21-rounder, and I have to stick with that. Like, that clicks easier with me. And I, I think for, you know, a couple of divisions, that might be the way to go. That was uh, my thought process on it. I, like, pick a, a number that's, like... Because obviously Glocks have like 33 rounds and you can get 50 round drums. But if you do something like 25, 
most people that are going to show up to a competition, maybe I'm just talking out my ass here because I don't go to those. Um, but most people aren't going to show up with, you know, 50 round drums. They're going to show up with like 21 rounders, 22 rounders, stuff like that. I think because once you get to the 33 round area with a Glock, you're just, that's just a little extra at that point. I think so. Like 25, maybe 24. It, it'd probably be 29. Maybe that's like what the 170s hold now. It's, See, it's I, just weird. That was my thought process too. Cause that eliminates the 33s and the thirties. Yeah. But I wasn't sure. I mean, you could use them. Real... You would just load them to 29, like, yeah. like in the other division. Yeah. But I couldn't think of anything between really 25 rounders and 30 rounders. Most, I don't, but I can't it, think of a lot of 26 round magazines. So I was like, well, and, we'll, ge- and generally it makes, the, the the delineation makes sense for most people, right? If you're if you're basing your choice on your carry gun or your match gun on capacity and not your ability to shoot it well, you've already kind of missed the point. Like, if you don't shoot a Glock well, and you're showing up with a Glock because it has more capacity, then, buddy, uh, go go get a PDP and uh, try that, or go get a, a Canic, or go get a, an M and P, or or something. Right? Go try something else before trying to show up with a Glock if you don't shoot a Glock well. Right? Like, I feel like those else. people still exist, though. Like, they're still going to be that guy. Going, that's like still going to, but that's a thing. Also, Max, I do want to point out I got a good laugh out of the Canther thing that you did with Superset CA. That was hilarious. Oh, yeah. Surprise at work, dude. <laughs> it was hilarious. Uh, for those that don't know, Max also does a lot of shooting with Superset CA, and uh, Max sent me a picture of a was a Walther slide on a Canic frame? Uh, yeah, Canic what? rival frame, Walther 5-inch PDP slide worked perfectly 100% locked back everything in in the video um i shot two rounds and it didn't lock back that's because i was riding the uh the huge slide release but um it does lock back normally i mean it kind of makes sense though i mean when you consider where the canic came from oh yeah it's it's all the same it's all the same parts there's like tiny it, dimensional changes same, same trigger design it, yeah everything it's the same picture it's, can i copy your can I copy your homework? Yeah, sure. Change it a little bit. Yeah, just don't make it obvious. Like that's exactly what happened. Um, but yeah, the uh, on the on the mag thing, I, I think I'm pretty comfortable now with um, like for this year. Obviously, we can change it if there's a lot of feedback. But I think the guys who are shooting competition division, like they are, like that division is really designed for a single port, dual port, comp 2011 with the slide ride dot or even an open gun uh, shooting open minor, whatever you need to cycle your, your slide. Um, and in that case, like, you know, the, all those guys know what a 170 mag is and you know, you can buy them straight from MBX or infinity or, or whoever. Um, so like, it, I don't really think there's any reason to, to change that. Like it doesn't add anything, but I think going to 21 plus one in practical across the board just does make sense. Um, mm-hmm. So probably yeah, I would agree with that. And at that point, if someone tries to argue with it, I mean, I know that mags are getting better and shit, but in in the name practical, are you really carrying something bigger than that? 
no, it's not even I bigger. Mean, it's it's the fucking stupid like followers where you shave everything off and then that you get rounds tumbling around inside the mag under the follower and like you you try to load and it's stuffed to twenty four or twenty three and you can't get the mag to seat. It's like none of that shit's practical. So just just load it to twenty one and be happy. Yeah, and the the mag limit definitely keeps or the capacity limit keeps it. It avoids gamer shit. In, in practical, which I appreciate. Yeah, it means any um, gun can have the same. Like, you don't have to shoot a, a 2011 with a 24 round MBX mag in order to get the most out of your division. Well, yeah, I, mean, I think that's that kind of keeps to the true to the spirit of PCSL, which is what I like about it is that there's there's clearly two lanes for people, and if you are in the category of people, they're like. I am the go faster boy and I want to buy all of the fancy tricks. I want to try. I'm going to spend an obsessive amount of hours in my basement doing dry fire. Then like, yes, I'm going to do that. And then there's the other side of guys. It's like, Hey man, I'm going to show up with like a Glock 17 with an RMR and just see if I can actually do well. Right. Um, that is like, the practical side of things because that guy probably actually carries that gun and just wants to go shoot it, but doesn't want to deal with like all of the nonsense of USPSA and like wants a also just an environment that's a little bit more relaxed and chill. And I think that's kind of the beauty of it, at least to me. I mean, that's kind of the draw to PCSL for me. Unfortunately, I don't have it here yet. We're trying to convince the local club to do it, but uh, is that Kentucky? No, that's North Dakota. Oh, North Dakota. Okay. There's going to be one in Minnesota, uh, early August, first weekend in August, Forest Lake. Uh, definitely going to have to make a note of that and try to get out there for it. Um, but yeah, no, and it, we're kind of weird here anyways, because, you know, six months out of the year, our matches are all indoors. So uh-huh. we're stuck at 25, you know, 25 yards and in half the year. Well, that was how the um, the match that um, Max uh, hosted near me uh, went. Um, they were about 25-yard shots mostly, um, and they had a restriction where they couldn't allow rifles because they were near a housing development that didn't want anyone to shoot rifles at their outdoor range because of ricochet risk. So yeah. the accommodation that was made, which I thought was really well done, is PCC is permitted, and PCC is falling under uh, competition rules, so anything goes for your PCC, and we're just basing you on what your handgun is, and that was what it was. And that seemed, that seems like a good way to do that, but, and like here, like, you know, once, once spring hits, summer hits, you know, we can run rifles all we want, and our, our outdoor range goes out to 700 yards. I mean, we can do that pretty easily, but, uh, you know, during the, during the wintertime, you know, nobody wants to go shoot outside in 40 below. Like it's oh, yeah. just not going to happen. Nobody so, and the indoor range, while it's rated for rifle, nobody wants to fire, you know, double chamber cop rifles indoors and blow out your ears and, you know, ring your bell and all that. So that it, they do pistol and PCC only. By the so, way, suppressors suppressors specifically allowed in PCSL rules. <laughs> I just want to throw that in there. 
I'm, I, am, I, I have I have to admit I need to go educate myself on it better because I'm not like super educated on it. I, I uh, actually don't, don't worry. It's, okay. it's just awesome. That I have with PCSL rules. This is more like a little bit outside of the, the thing that is maybe a little uncomfortable, but is the brace thing coming on. Like, obviously, is this going to like be a, a range only decision or is this going to be a you know, like, is it just going to be a neutral stance from PCSL of like, we don't care what ATF says about braces or whatever the fuck it is. Like, we just want to run the league. Please fuck off and leave us out of it. Like, yeah, is I'm, that kind of- I'm going to end up having to rewrite the equipment rule and just like state what defines a carbine and none of it is going to be legality oriented. And uh, it'll be up to the individual shooters and clubs. Like not interested in any of that, but um, yeah, I'll probably have to remove the pistol braced AR wording from that. Yeah, which is like it's a little bit of a shame, and I mean it's that legal fight's not over, and I don't want to make it a legal thing because obviously you just want to have like a fun league, but like it's one of those things that kind of was a little disappointing to see that ATF do that, and then like I read the rules again, and it's like, oh, like this was like a point for Max of like making sure that it, it didn't matter. You could just show up and have fun with whatever you had. And yeah, it'll now, still be like that. Just people, people decide for themselves. I mean, that's, that's a fair point. I mean, like as long as, as long as an ATF agent isn't in your squad, you should be okay, I guess. But uh, make your own decisions and accept the consequences of your actions. Legal disclaimer. That's- that's the that's the big thing. Make your own decisions and be prepared to accept the consequences for what you just did. I would like to see Ping run a uh, competition with his uh, his little uh, freaking B and T. Oh yes, that would be fun. See, that would have been the thing to talk about with Mike still here, since he does things with B and T. Well, I. Uh, yeah. I, well, hopefully I Mike wasn't too put off by the this podcast to come back because I'd like to have him back. He was super I, nice. I would too. But yeah, no, I've I've I thought about it. We've got a there's some sort of match going on this weekend. I'm not sure what it is, and I thought about grabbing the if it's like Outlaw Two Gun because they've been doing Outlaw Two Gun indoors now too. And uh, if it's that, I thought about showing up with my BNT and just. I don't even know what I'd use for a handgun, honestly. I got a stack of handguns that goes way too deep. But uh, showing up and just basically goofing off. Should do it. Mainly because yeah, I, mean, I, 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 I haven't shot it. much here as of late. So, I mean, I, I, I was shooting in the back 40 of a farm, so that was fun. So unfortunately, the recording got cut off here. Uh, Thank you for listening. This has been Clone Incorrect Podcast Episode Something. Please give us a good review on Spotify, a great review on Apple Music, and buy some merch. It's in the link in the description on wherever you found this thing. Thanks.